0: All right, good morning, Foundation family. We have been continually in this series asking this one question, who do you say that I am? See, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 continues to ask this question to the people of Israel, but then to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And it is one of the most challenging questions that each and every single one of us must answer. Who do you say that Jesus is. This is the question we oppose every single week and we bring it to life again today. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you have your phone, go ahead and get them out. We're going to be staying in these verses all morning long. If you are there, go ahead and read with me. So we're just coming off of John the Baptist. He's made some incredible proclamations And then we see here in verse 13, John has come, prepare the way, he says, prepare the way is what he is here to do. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then in 13, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? pleased. Growing up in the Rayburn household, I would like to say that we had rules, but what I would really say is that there was a way in which we lived. The way in which we lived was almost 100% determined by my mother. See, my father, he worked second shift, and so my mom, what that meant is she got us basically from 8 a.m. all the way to 8 p.m., and it was her way Or the highway. Does anybody have a mother like that? My mom, she is stubborn, and she is loving, and she is kind, but she is stubborn. And so she was able to put up a really, really good fight. And so some of her way in which us kids were living and the way we were raised is, you know, if you come to a door and there is somebody who is behind you, you grab the door and you hold it open for them. As the Mandalorians say, this is the way. If there is towels that are in the dryer, yes, they evidently do need to be folded, according to my mother, even though I hated that task almost above all else. This was the way. Or if there was a grocery grocery load, In the car, then it was our job to get the groceries to the countertop. It was not her job to get those. It was our job. Once again, this was her way. The one that got me the most, though, is that we were not allowed to have a TV in our bedroom. Now, as many teenagers uh, know, and even your old teenage self know, that's probably a pretty good idea, especially whenever I am a freshman in high school and Call of Duty comes out and I have Xbox Live, and I decide that it'll be awesome just to stay up till 2 a.m. on a school night, right? All of these things she tried to fight against, but that was the one, right? No TV. But then even beyond all that, I, my father, he is a pastor, even still to this day, is that they taught us, you know, the way of the Lord. They taught us the, what I would say, even if you were to say like the rules or the way in which God commanded us to live, like can go to the 10 commandments. These, did anybody in their home have the 10 commandments on the wall? Maybe a few, maybe you even remember when it was in the schools, right? This was the way in which many people lived. And there is one in there that my mother would love and my father would love. And maybe, you know, it's one that it is. Remember, all that I say is biblical and scriptural because it says, honor your father and your mother. Anybody remember this? And it actually says that if you do this, you will have a long and prosperous life. It's as if they know what they're doing, right? To all the parents in the room, we're like, amen. But there's this word honor. If we look at what honor means, it's really beautiful. The Hebrew word is actually, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to butcher it, but it's okay. Kabed, kabed is the Hebrew word. Now, that means no importance to you as far as how to pronounce it, but what it means is incredibly important. It means heavy or weighty, heavy or weighty. And so if you think of this, to honor your father and your mother, that means that what they say, that their will over your life should carry weight. It should be heavy upon your soul, what they say, not as in the sense that it is burdensome, but as if it is directing your path, directing the way in which you live. To honor to someone is to give weight or to grant a person of position respect and even authority in one's life to prize highly, to care for, to, ra- to show respect for and obey. Now, I don't know about you all, I'm sure you all were saints growing up and did this to just a beautiful, beautiful, 100% marked. you honored your father and mother in all things, right? Amen. We don't even need to talk anymore about it, right? No, we have to talk about this because if you know, as you were raised, you did not honor your father and mother unless you are just the holier than holy people in this room. If you are, teach us your ways. But if you're like me, to the perception of my mother, hey, Aaron's a pretty good God, but in secret, oh, what mama don't know won't hurt her. Can I get a big amen to that? And so it was in secret that the disobedience of my life really came through. Uh, Lord, even to this day, there are things that my mom, she probably knows that I think she doesn't know, but there was just this natural bend within each and every single one of us that whatever honor we are to give to those in authority, it is very difficult it is very difficult within our souls to submit our wills to someone in authority, let alone our parents. And what we really see that whenever your mother and your father, and I love to just continue saying this connection, are asking you to obey, here's what has to happen, is that you have to first have humility, so you must humble your will, your desires, and then you must step into obedience. And here's what's crazy, is that with humility leads obedience, and with obedience comes honor. The two are inseparable. You cannot obey without finding yourself humble. You cannot even be humble and then obey. But you cannot have honor, you cannot have honor without the two. The two are one. And so here's what we're going to be doing Today, I want to help you see humility is the recognition of one's limitations, even weaknesses, and even the dependence upon somebody else. And then obedience, the act of willingly conforming, notice that, willingly conforming to the directions and commands of an authority figure. Today, if you're thinking like, what's the big idea? What's our hope today as we look through this text? Is our hope that as a church, that as a people today, that we will be challenged, that we would be just commanded, that we would step into having a heart of obedience. And as we were going to see through this text, that this is who Jesus is. He is both humble and obedient, bringing incredible honor to the Father. Within us, though, this can be challenging. I've been reading a book, "Raising Passionate Jesus Followers" by Diane and Phil Comer, and they make this statement: If you have kids, you may understand this. But even now, as you remember your child self, how true this is. They say to create in your child a heart of obedience, not perfect, not no matter what compliance, but a heart that actually, honestly wants to obey so that we may have the heart and the ability to choose to obey God rather than our own impulses if you have children then this is the hope but you can look at it in your own life as as God is looking down upon us that he wants us he desires for us to willingly obey to want to obey him are just like the crescendo of our verses today is this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. This is where we are working towards today and we're gonna have so much fun through all the verses in between. But what you're gonna see is the humility of the servant Jesus, the obedience of the son and the love of the father. So let's go back into our verses. Here is where we find ourselves. Verse 13, once again, if you have your Bibles, stay Stay with me here. We're going to keep these up on the screen. It says right here in verse 13, then Jesus came to Galilee. Let's just pause. Then Jesus, then Jesus. I don't want us to overlook what is just happening here. You see, John has come on the scene proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now here's what's even more incredible that before John, you actually see 400 years where the Lord has not spoken. 400 years of silence has now taken place. 400 years before the last prophet has brought a word of God. And here's what's crazy. If you have your Bibles, just flip over literally like three pages and you're going to go to Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet that the Lord spoke to his people to. Now Malachi it's really, really Incredible to see here is that you can see if you follow the Old Testament Scripture is that they were actually became captives in this land called Babylon. Now they have returned to Israel. We can see that they are doing some faithful things to the Lord, that they have returned to Israel, that that they are not completely free. They are still under the authority of a Persian empire. You can still see this here. They have reinstated the law and the priesthood. They've even given up idols. It would seem that in Malachi, that were before Malachi, that the Jews were on the right path. But then they get the prophet Malachi that begins to speak over their life. And you're going to see why this is so important. Because I read through Malachi. You can read through it in about 15 minutes. You can read through it. It's four chapters. That's it. And here's what's incredible. That even though they have returned, they have returned to their land, they have rejected idols, you see that the Lord is still speaking to them. And it's not like, hey, I'm so thankful and happy for you. It's more of this, why are you not honoring me? And he uses the prophet Malachi to speak to him. And what are they doing? It's incredible. They're neglecting their offerings to their Lord. They're not giving God their best. We can see that they are being faithless to their wives. They are withholding their tithes and they're not teaching the people the ways of God. And so he sends the prophet Malachi to speak to them, and ultimately we see this in verse four one, or in in, uh, in one six in Malachi, where it literally says, "Where is my honor? Where is my honor? Where is it? You have forsaken me again." It says, "Have I not loved you?" It's so beautiful in one, it says. As son honors his father a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? The same question, where is this obedience? Where is this willingness? I love you, I have provided for you, but yet why are you forsaking me? Why are you running from me, from my ways? Why are you simply being disobedient to me? And it continues on all the way through there. But if we look, this is where we find ourselves. So I wanted to bring you here. It's like, where do we find ourselves? Probably the same place, Malachi. Why are we not bringing honor to the Father? Now, he gives some incredible hope here. He says, return to me and I will return to you. But he finishes Malachi. In verse four, it says, or chapter four, verse five and six, it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And here's what we find ourselves. Elijah has come. John the Baptist has come. He has proclaimed, "Prepare the way of the Lord." And then here is what is happening now. Everything that has been spoken about in Malachi, over 400 years of silence, over 400 years of disobedience, is now. God is on the scene in His Son Jesus. Two words. It's incredible. Jesus is here. That's three words. I'm sorry. That's three. Yeah, I apologize. Then Jesus. That's what I meant to say. Then Jesus. I don't want you to overlook this. He's here. He is now on the scene. Now we have seen 30 years between his birth, we would say Jesus is here now, but now the ministry of Jesus is now here. The man of Jesus is now here. And what's he do? What does he do? He has come to be baptized by John. Now baptism by John has been for repentance. This is really, really peculiar that through This moment, why is he being baptized? What's the purpose here? Well, there's two reasons. Two reasons that I believe that you can find here is that, number one, God is saying, I am about to do something new. And I want to bring the connection of this moment with water, baptism through water. And here's what's incredible. If you look through history, I want you to think of Noah. How did God's covenant come through Noah? Through the water, through the flood. Then I want you to think about Moses. How was Moses and the Israelites delivered from Egypt? Through water. And then I want you to think about Joshua as he takes the Israelites into the promised land. How does he enter into the promised land? Through water. And so there's incredible symbolism that what Jesus is saying here as he is being baptized, that I am doing something new, that the new covenant is at hand. The new covenant is beginning. That is beautiful, beautiful. But then I also wanna share with you here is that we see the baptism is one of repentance. One that each and every single one of us is called into. And so here's what's incredible, that even though, as 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, that even though Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and me to fulfill all righteousness, And so here's what's beautiful that in this moment, Jesus is being baptized to identify with you and me, to understand fully and clearly that I am taking the place of all sinners, that I am fulfilling even what John is requiring each and every single one of us to do, to step into repentance. He said, I do not need to repent, but I am identifying with all those that one day I will come to seek and to save. This is incredible. Incredible proclamations. But I also want to bring to life here is that how did Jesus come on the scene? He came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. That's it. And what I want to say is that we see the humble servant coming, not with trumpets, not with shouts, not with an entourage, but just like a guy strolling down the road. Just coming saying, John, I need to be baptized by you. No major announcements by his part. No flash. No, if you look at this, no kingship like you would imagine a king would. So I just want to bring, he came not as if he were some great person demanding special recognition, but as simply and naturally as any of the rest. This is the Messiah. This is how he comes. Now we continue on in verse 14. This is John's response. So he came to John to be baptized, but John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You can imagine this. Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. You've got it all wrong. I need to be baptized by you. You're not by me. I'm unworthy to baptize you. I'm not, I am not in a position to baptize you. As you can notice, in the as we see earlier, is that his feet, if we go back up to, where is that one? That his feet, he is not even willing or able to untie. There is one coming greater, and this is him. He says, there's no way I should baptize you. You should baptize me. And as I begin to wrestle with this moment, I think we can all connect with John in some way. But John is like coming to Jesus. Messiah, Jesus is on the scene. He's like, Jesus, you have it all wrong. You ever said that to God before? Hey, God, you've got it all wrong. Remember, this is who I am. This is what it should look like. This is what the plan should be. You ever had that moment with God? You see, we find in John a humility of status. He understands who he is before God, but then at the same time, he's willing to question God. And so his humility of character is not fully lived out here in this moment. Just a simple question, God, you've got it all right. Why does it need to be this way? You see, within us, as we bring to light this obedience and humility, there's an innate struggle with all of us to submit and to humble our will before God. In each and every single one of us, if you go back to your teenage years, you know I'm right, okay? And here's what's funny, it doesn't just stop after you get out of middle school, It seems to continue to follow you. You have within you an innate struggle to willingly submit and obey. Some various reasons that I begin to see is that really within us, there's pride. There's a pride within us. There's a self-reliance that we like to live on our own strength, that we really don't need help, that we've got it on our own. There's a fear of change or sacrifice that the willingness to follow God or to step with God or to obey God would require change for your life that would even require sacrifice. Then we can continue on. I think there's one here that connects with every single one of us is that we have within us an incredible desire for worldly pleasures, that we have an incredible desire for the things of this world. There is this instant gratification that is within each and every single one of us, within every single one of us, that we would rather fulfill what is within us than to obey what God has commanded us. Go back to your teenage years. Think about this. This is innate. This is a part of who we are, this incredible struggle that right now that there may be something God is calling you into or simply calling you into obedience in, but yet it is the worldly pleasures that are continually drawing you out. This is continually drawing you out. Now to the men in the room, this one's going to be just a little bit graphic, but you can understand the example here. You imagine the onslaught of just sexual gratification that is coming after men. It's incredible. Within two or three clicks, men, you can be on whatever site you want to gratify whatever desire that you have within two or three minutes. And what's incredibly powerful is that this is one of the easiest ways that can be hidden, that can just step in to say, well, I mean, it feels good, it feels right. My wife won't know, or my girlfriend won't know, but it's just something that I could step into. And here's at the root of every single part of it is because it satisfies you, or you think it satisfies you. But as we all know, that any sort of sexual gratification that it lasts for a moment or the buildup is more exciting than, than what happens after. And then the, what comes is the crash. And I use that one as the most graphic one because I think it's the one that's attacking all of our men in whatever different, different ways. And all it is is just this pull to just be gratified, just to fill our desires just a little bit. God doesn't want men looking at porn. God doesn't want men looking at women in an ungodly way, especially not beyond our wives. But yet we find within ourselves this incredible pull towards those things, making it extremely hard to obey what God has commanded us, to live up to his standard of righteousness. Ladies, as we've got to see with our uh, college small group, we get to continue to see that there is a image issue within women and definitely within girls. You look at a Instagram feed of what is perfection, thinking that that then is who you should be or that that is the standard of which you should live your life. And so you're in this comparison trap, comparison trap, all forgetting how much you are loved and known by your father. It's incredible. And so you'd rather gratify gratify the instincts or the desires within you than to be remembered and known by God. It's crazy. Those are just two. Those are just two, right? If you think right now, what does it look like for you right now? Why is there such a struggle? Something will come to your mind. Something right now is trying to pull you away to bring honor to God. Let's continue on. I apologize for the little tant there, but it's so incredible that within us, There's this innate struggle, and I just want to simply finish here. What is it for you? What is it for you? Because it's so important to bring this to light right now because we're going to see God provide the answer in just a moment. Verse 15, we got to continue on. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Man, as we go through life, we're like John. And this is what John is seeing. He is seeing right now, just this moment. I want you to imagine if you just read the Bible like this, if this was it, literally, if you just like read the Bible like this, what can you even see? Nothing. Maybe two or three words that is right in front of you. This is it. It's like, God, this is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm caring about. This is where I am. God, I need you to move. This is it. I'll obey you here, but nowhere else. As long as it fits my plan and all my desires. This is where we are. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, No, 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 look, 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 I I know the whole story. I know the whole story. John, right now, you may be confused, you may not understand, but I know the whole story. And so, what we're going to do right now, I need you to humble yourself. I need you to be obedient to what God is calling us into because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. And what it means, all the things that you cannot see and all the things you do not yet understand, I'm here to fulfill. And so I just want you to humble yourself and just obey. We get caught with our head just stuck in the book. But God is writing a full story. And he knows, and Jesus knows what that story is. And this righteousness isn't just about being good. That's what we think about, just being good. But righteousness here is fully being described as, as this beautiful picture for us to fulfill all that's required of us to be relationally focused in obedience. This is what we see. And oftentimes what we do, whether it's our insecurities or our inadequacies, is that oftentimes we will allow those things to get in the way of God's plan. Like, this is what I have for you. This is what I have for your life. So don't allow your inaccuracies, don't allow your insecurities to get in the way of that. Don't allow those things to get in the way of being obedient to me. Allow faith and trust to be built in these moments. But we get to the last piece. We're almost to our crescendo verse. Hang on tight. Verse 16, it says, and when Jesus was baptized, so John, he, he if you see that, consented, Jesus was baptized and immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. I just want to bring to light just some incredible imagery that we see here in this verses. Number one, the heavens were opened. John had been baptizing people for however many days. But even in that day that Jesus came, he had been baptizing others. And I can guarantee you that nobody else had the heavens opened. He was the only one. Everybody else was coming there for the repentance of their sins, but Jesus had no sins to repent of. Jesus was coming, the heavens opened. He was coming to fulfill our righteousness that delighted the Lord. And what I wanted to share here is that this is unique. This baptism is not like other baptisms or his baptism is unique. The heavens opened. It's incredible. And then not only did the heavens open, I've never seen this in my life, never seen that in my life, but then also never seen a dove descended. You can see there, the dove descended like the Spirit of God upon it. Where is that? Immediately went up for the water and behold, the heavens were opened too. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. The dove has incredible significance. As we talked about Noah, after Noah, the floodwaters began to recede, Noah sent out a dove. And here's what happened. He also sent out a raven. A raven was able to consume all things. But the dove would not eat of anything impure. But the dove brought back an olive leaf branch allowing Noah to know that the waters were receding and it was finally time that all that God had done was fulfilled, that the new covenant was at hand. So this dove here is so beautiful that this end of the flood, this end of the old covenant, the old ways, and a restoration. A dove was part of sacrificial rituals for atonement, for the forgiveness of sins. It was a, it was a symbol of peace, of purity, and even the presence of God, incredible significance that the Spirit would come as a dove, signifying further who Jesus is, what he came to do. But then there's also this incredibly powerful moment where it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it says, came and rested upon him. That all that Jesus was to accomplish and to do, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was now on him. Incredibly unique incredibly powerful. The Spirit came to empower him for the work that he was called to do on earth. What Jesus was about to do and accomplish would be done with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what is so incredible, and I've been so excited about this moment, is that the same is true for you. The same is true for you. So when you think about all that you have been struggling with, in your life that is dishonorable to God, all of the things that have continually weighed you down and just tried to beat you into the ground, here's what he is saying. And here's what's the incredible truth is that the same spirit that empowered God, that empowered Jesus is now available to you. It's incredible, the verses that we see here. I want you to rethink your mind, reframe this. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. If you have your Bibles, man, you can mark this these verses. Lord, help me find the right ones because there's like four tabs in here. No, nope, not Corinthians. Where are you, Galatians? Oh, no, not that Corinthians. It's a card. It's a card. See, it just gets a little crazy up here. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. It says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of flesh are evident. We can see these, it's incredible. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I bring you back to the beginning. So then walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Submit to His control over your life. Submit to His power that is within you to obey, to humble yourselves and obey the will of God in your life. And it's not just Galatians 5, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And I love this verse, and it brings us such incredible, incredible power for each of us. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy the strongholds in your life, to destroy them. I've got a couple minutes. I'm gonna share this. This past week, Emily kept asking this simple question, what is wrong? We were able to get away and think about the coming year and Monday. It was like we were driving home from Lexington and it was like a cloud covered me. And she continually, from Monday, literally through Saturday, she just continued to ask, what is wrong? Now, even throughout that whole time, did anybody like catch the, you know, oh, this is nasty, the snot over the past like two weeks, you know what I mean? Like the cough and the snot. It's crazy. It's like Kentucky and fall. It's, It's insane. So I caught that somewhere along the lines as well. But there was just this consistent theme. I don't know. I don't know. And it wasn't, I was angry. It was that there was like some moments of like, you know, your thoughts. It was like your thoughts were just running and they were not healthy thoughts. They were not good thoughts, thoughts of anger, thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of resentment. And she just continued to be like, what is wrong? I don't know. And you ever just have that moments where you're like, you know what then you should do? It took me five days to start praying. You ever been there? Yeah, your pastor, congratulations. Five days to start praying. Great example, pastor. Five days, finally, yesterday, laying on the bed, about 12 o'clock, can't sleep, thought I could take a nap, continue walking out. I said, Lord, you just got to help me. I said, I don't know. You ever like try to do things? You know what I mean? That's the other part of me. It's like gets me in trouble. Just try to do and do and do, fix, fix, fix. I don't know. Lord, you got help. It says like this cloud, it just felt weighty, felt like a burden. I felt like I couldn't love my wife, couldn't play with my kids. It was just like this weight. I said, Lord, you just got help. got help. And it was wild. Not immediately, but about three o'clock, I was like, huh, I feel better. I feel better. I was like, what is that? I was telling him, I said, I don't know what was wrong with me. I told her this morning, I said, I don't know what was wrong with me, Emily. I said, but yesterday I just prayed, and about three o'clock it got better. She was like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I prayed. I just prayed. I just prayed it was just like the spirit of god i mean if you you get take like the strongholds right the strongholds in her life they proclaims this 2 corinthians second corinthians 10:4 for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds and i want to just not this is not an encouragement but it's the truth that i have been walking with the lord for many many years And so here's what you find, is that the Lord, or that the enemy is continually trying to change his tactics for whatever it may be. Take anything that we read in Galatians 5. He's going to continue to work. He will never stop. He will never stop. And the lie that we will continue to believe is that we are just not good enough or that we aren't a good enough Christian, and that's why we're getting this way, or, you know, there's so much more that you can do to be so much better or whatever it may be. There's so many insecurities that well up within us. But this is the one that I want you to just live in today is that the same spirit of God that rested on him, that empowered Jesus through his entire ministry is proclaimed in Matthew 28. As he's talking to the disciples, he said, it is better for me to go so that the helper may come. And the helper, if you have proclaimed Jesus in your life, the helper is with you. And you take the second Corinthians 10, four uh, is able to, to break the strongholds in your life. To all that, church, we say, amen. Come on, church, say, amen. Proclaim that over your life, amen. It's incredible. Let's finish, we're out of time. Verse 17, as we come to a close, which is incredible. He makes this statement, and says, in verse 17, and behold, a voice from the heavens said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased." As I did my study, there were all sorts of proclamations about like what these verses mean. There were all of these references to Old Testament, to Isaiah, and even in Matthew chapter twelve, you see this same language quoted from Isaiah forty-two. And everybody was like, God's quoted scripture or God's, but it's like, let's just strip all of that back. And here's what I want to bring to life. The crescendo verse, who do you say that I am? Today, we're looking at who God says that he is. And this is profound because what God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the blasphemy statement that God, Jesus killed. And at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, this is the same thing as proclaimed to him over the end of his ministry. But at the very beginning, he begins to tell everybody that's there, everybody that's seeing this moment and watching this moment, that this is my beloved son. This is God with us. This is Emmanuel. This is the one that I have loved and that I have sent to save his people from their sins that allows you to come and to know me and to be with me. But this is the one that I have sent. This is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. It's beautiful. The one that you have just seen baptized, this is my son. And here's what's incredible. Of whom I am well pleased. I'm gonna give you some encouragement today. I want you to notice the flow of this statement. You see, we have tracked today looking at the humility of the servant. We have looked at the obedience of the son, but I want you to understand that all of that first comes from the love of the father. The love of the father. The love of the son towards the father allowed Jesus to step both humbly and obediently into what God had called him into, to honor his father. And to this, God says he is well pleased. Here's what's also incredible. Jesus has done nothing up to this point except taking a step of baptism. 30 years, we find nothing written of Jesus' 30 years before after his birth. There's nothing written. Well, I'm sorry, I apologize. There's him in the temple. We find that teaching in the temple. But beyond that, there is no miracles. There is no signs. It's just simply him being a carpenter's son. And here's what's incredible. To all of this, God is well-pleased. To all of you in the room that feel like your accomplishments are what please God, to all of the things that you do for God that please him. No, no, no. Strip all that back. Strip all that away. That's not what pleases God. Be obedient. Humble yourself. Submit to his will whatever that may be, and here's what you will find. He's pleased. Now, granted, here's what I want you to know as well. It isn't, the, it isn't pleasing God that allows him to love you. Mm. You believe that often. I believe that often, that I must earn his love. It's not the way, notice the flow. My beloved son with who I'm well pleased. The love is there for you and for me. And then as we continue to walk in obedience, walk according to his will, humble ourselves to his way, to his reign, it is in this that not only will we be pleased to do our Father's will, but he will also delight in us. And if right now, if you are in that place where you know you aren't pleasing God, that you just know, don't even try to fool yourself and think that you are just like kind of pleasing God. Think back to your father, think back to your mother, Obedience and humility will allow just a rich delighting in Him in your own soul and for Him. Beautiful picture. As we come to a close, would everybody just bow your heads with me here today? We have talked about a lot. We've got a lot here, but we find this title, though, Beloved Son, through what Jesus has done, through the justification By righteousness of Christ, given to those who have repented and believed. God the Father, He treated Christ as if He was a sinner, though He was not. And had Him die a substitute to pay for our sins. Jesus, He remained sinless unto death. He was treated as if He was guilty of all the sins that we had ever committed, though He had committed none. He completely identified with you and me. He was humble unto his death. He was obedient to the will of the Father all the way unto death so that you and me, so that you and me, as we see all throughout the New Testament, may be counted as righteous. And here's what's incredible. We may be counted as sons and daughters of God. And so today, I just want to encourage you, if that is you and you have proclaimed that, if you have repented and believed in who Jesus is, then be reminded today that the Father loves you. Today, number one, if you are struggling with this, then we say this as well. If you have not put your faith and trust in Him, that today would be the day, as they said in our prophet, the prophet we read, that return to the Lord and He will return to you. That today he is standing there awaiting your repentance, awaiting your heart cry for him. So repent and believe. God does not wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And today you can do just that. But I also want to challenge all of those who have put their faith and trust in him, that today, that today that you would put aside your disobedience, that we would be a church that would bring honor to God, that we would be a people that would bring honor to our Father, and that He would be pleased. So I challenge each and every single one of you, put aside your disobedience. Understand that it is not your strength, but the strength of God within you through His Spirit. That is doing an incredible work in you. May we bring honor to Him through our humility and obedience may we be like jesus the beloved son of god of whom god is well pleased jesus we thank you for your word today and god i pray lord that all the strongholds in this room god that today that they would just be broken in your spirit or that the truth of your word would reign true in our lives and in our hearts that, God, that we would have a heart of obedience seeking to do your will, seeking to live out what you have called for us in our life. We pray for all those today, God, that are putting their faith and trust in you for the first time. Lord, that they would see that they are now a loved son or a loved daughter. And God, that your spirit is with them now to accomplish all that you have called them to. Lord, thank you for being with us in this place. Thank you for your spirit speaking to each and every single one of us, God. May we walk in a way that brings you honor. In Jesus' name, amen.